Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Friday, January 19th, 10.39 a.m. Tracy, how are you doing? Huh. I'm 1040. I'm see. I'm always ahead of you, Dave. I'm now 1040. <laughs> so, um, I, I do want to talk about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, your best friend and buddy, Seth Davis. Oh yeah, he was at the game at Polly mm-hmm. on Sunday. He generally says hello to me. I don't even. I was wearing my Dave Woods T-shirt, and he still weird. said hello. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just give our are people just a little bit of a background of your history with Mr. Davis? I um, I really don't like Seth Davis, um, bordering bordering on personally. Um, he's he's a he's a smarmy, um, uh, talentless hack. Uh, Wait, Dave, come on, man, uh, give it to us straight. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he uh, he he has no real ability. Um, and he, uh, he went to Duke. So already, you know, that's a shot against him. Um, and, uh, he spends most of his time in the media just saying smarmy things. Whenever the subject comes up of UCLA though, uh, there's a, there's a real element of, of, you know, kind of conceited anger about the whole thing. Uh, he doesn't like UCLA and that's, that's been uh, a prevalent part of his, um, worldview and uh writing and journalistic arc uh i've gotten blocked by uh seth on two different accounts uh the bruin report online account uh (laughs) in i think 2013 and then my own account last year uh when i went at him for his mother uh being a charlatan who promotes bunk cancer cures um he is a smarmy i should person. not laugh he's this, a smarmy person and uh he's i just looked up smarmy in the dictionary yeah it's seth in his picture yeah he's uh he's a bad person and uh and uh, uh he, he clearly comes from a line of bad people so, oh damn so Getting personal he showed up i i i i think i've seen him at poly one other time mm-hmm. and then he showed up sunday yeah, he's uh, he has not been to a UCLA home game under Mick Cronin, uh, and then decided to show up when they were six and ten going into Washington. And he lived he lives locally. He lives in Southern California. 
Yeah, yeah. So anyway, anyway I just wanted backstory. to start it off with that kind. Yeah. He wrote a story yeah. uh, about Cronin and the program and all that kind of stuff. There's there's some valid stuff in there, then a lot of mealy mouth crap. Uh, I didn't even I didn't even get to it. Was it pretty critical? Uh, pretty critical. I mean, it's just it's it's mostly in the underhanded things he says, like the um, the way he shades things. Uh, it's just that he's, passive aggressive yes, kind of thing. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so anyway, it was pretty critical of Cronin, uh, pretty critical of UCLA's NIL situation, um, which again we've talked about probably in the top twenty-five range, not in the top five range. So. Anywho, um, anywho, I just thought we'd start. I, I think UCLA fans have a lot of uh, pent up aggression, anger, resentment, frustration right now. So I just wanted to start it with with that, just so that there's kind of a, uh, you know, a target, a little bit of a, you know, that you can channel all of that toward. Yeah, I think they're going to be some bros going after him now. That's right. So, um, it Pick is... Pick up the mantle that Dave had to drop. Yeah. Carry Dave's mantle. Yeah. Carry my shield and my sword. Um, anyway, UCLA basketball is riding a two-game win streak, um, playing better basketball of late. And by of late, I mean in the last five days. Uh, after getting uh, shellacked by Utah. And I guess, Tracy, my main my main takeaway here is we really inspired them with our podcast on Friday last week. I think <laughs> I love how you think anyone at UCLA paid attention to that thing. I think everyone said, "Wow, wow!" You know what they said? It's really galvanizing. It's really important. It it nailed everything. Yeah, Mick sent me his notes. I bet. I bet. Yeah. No, I mean yeah. he probably sent you. Thank you. Uh, I took notes and decided that this was obviously the way to go. I, I yeah. Way too much credit, but okay. Yeah, I'll go with it. Um, so anyway, UCLA beat Washington on Sunday, was probably their pretty close to their best played game of the year, I would say. Uh, great defensive first half, and then the second half, uh, the offense got going, defense wasn't quite as good, but it was a more or less complete game. And then uh, they actually beat a team that I think was better than they are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say much worse coached, but... A, yeah, but just from a talent standpoint, who you just put out on the court. Yeah, agreed, yeah. agreed. Yeah. And it was it was an impressive showing. And then... Tal- talent and experience, sorry. Had to but throw then, Tracy, we got to witness <laughs> one of the funniest games I've ever seen on Wednesday night. Uh, UCLA went to Tempe, and it looked like a return of the Bad News Bruins from a month ago. Uh, they were down... I think it was 36-23 at the half. Um, ASU was hitting a very high percentage from three. There was one missed blockout where one of the ASU guards got an offensive rebound when there were literally four Bruins standing around the key just Wow. Watching. I tweeted that. That that one killed me. It was just – it looked low effort. It was Frankie, it, Frankie Collins, who's what, six, six foot? Two? He just yeah. – he, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he just sliced his way. Th- it looked like he crawled through someone's legs yeah, to get it. Yeah, and it looked like the same kind of low effort, low energy stuff that we saw against Utah. Wouldn't have been surprising if they got blown out in the second half. Yada yada yada. It looked- uh, another right. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to add a, a game where they seriously beat someone that you put on the court were more talented and experienced. Totally. But that so, was wow. it. Was it was that first half? 
just brutal. Another brutal half where we're all like, what are we doing? Why are we watching this? What's going on? I, Isn't I like- it funny how you go back and forth after Washington? You, you gear your mind up that there's going to be some improvement. They're going to play better. And then after the half, it all starts flooding back into your brain. Oh, yeah. Right? You just say, oh, my God, we're right back. We got to watch this crap. Ah, la, la, la. You and I are texting each other, basically saying, why do we have to watch this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, one of my comments was just unpleasant. Um mm. So that was the first half. Then the second half, and here's what I want to say, because uh, I think a lot of people are focusing on the technical fouls, which is very funny, and they were very important, but also very funny. UCLA was putting together a little comeback even before those started. And in fact, I would say the comeback is what put a little bit of pressure on ASU to start doing a lot of very dumb, very Bobby Hurley things. Um, Because UCLA had cut it to 49-43 with about 13 to go. Uh, off a Sebastian Mack drive and dish to Burke Buyuktunjul for a uh, layup. And then, uh, and then the, the, the fireworks started. Because on the next trip down, uh, Lazar Stefanovic gets hammered across the face. And Okay, a lot of the conversation about this has been that's, oh, that shouldn't have been a flagrant. That's incidental. When playing basketball, have you ever braced your arm on another player's face? Like, when has that ever happened? Because it doesn't happen. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the ASU fans actually did admit. I think they, I think they said three of them were valid. There might have been. Well, that was the flagrant. That was the yeah, flagrant, that, not the. Yeah, technicals. I mean all the technicals. Yeah. yeah. So then the technicals happened when he falls down. That eventually gets assessed as a flagrant. But then the uh, the big guy, um, his name's escaping me at the moment, uh, for ASU. Uh, gets into it with a Dembona, and they'd been getting into it all night where a Dembona was clearly egging him on a little bit, like giving him a big smile and, you know, that sort of stuff. And this guy, Sean Phillips, that's his name, uh, was very intense. Uh, he gets a technical for uh, arguing with Bona. Bona gets one as well. And then Tony Padilla, who's a very bad referee, uh, I watched the clip, and it's Phillips says something. But it's not like aggressively said. It's it might be a you know go f yourself or something like that. It might be something like that. But it was casual, and he wasn't looking at Padilla when he said it. So it could have been to anybody. It could have been about anything. Padilla gets is is clearly in his feelings by this point, and he ejects Phillips for his second technical. Um, so UCLA ends up shooting four free throws, and gets the ball back, and shoots a three off that. So they go from going into that possession down six points to up a point coming out of it. Full marks. Loved it. Every second of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, watching that game, I'm, you know, when it comes to officiating, you always, you want to step back and, and say, okay, take your, try to take your bias away. And, and those were legit calls. Maybe the only one was the ASU fans are saying uh, the one against Neil, that was kind of a retaliatory one and and where he was talking. But, you know, I'm sorry. It, so many times the call is, you know, the guy, it's not the guy who says it first, it's the guy who, who responds. So they were all legit. I, I don't think ASU fans really had a, a leg to stand on if they're saying the officiating was bad because they lo- all looked legit where should asu fans um focus their resentment 
Well, they've made they've uh, Bobby Hurley has made a team in his own image. Like they are, this is the quintessential. You embody your coach. Right? You, this is the quintessential Bobby Hurley team, um, and it's just that he's he's finally got a team full of guys who who behave like he does. Um, he's in he's not just intense on the sideline. He's behaving like a madman on the sideline, and his team does that. Um, and so throughout this game, like I would say the Neil one again, he he said something to the ref like immediately afterwards. I would say the the Phillips second tech would probably be the one I would have ta- taken back if I was the ref because you just heat him up, he's heated, and then uh, you should just you know put on your hidden earmuffs right then and just walk away. Um, right. You don't eject college players from a college game unless they do something horrible. Yeah, unless they physically assault him. Yeah, and he wasn't doing that. He was just talking. Let him go cool down for a second and then come back at him if he keeps doing it. But that was the only one I had a problem with. Everyone else, I mean, it's like, stop talking. Like, how how are you at this point in the game? Maybe they do not like your team. Maybe they don't like your coach. How are you still talking to the refs at that point? And, and um, we put up a little snippet of Bobby Hurley's yeah. post-game press conference. That, that did not do it justice no he was beautiful Um, no you need to go watch the whole thing i'm not i'm not going to say anything about it but it is entertainment value very very much the way the way and manner he speaks is just it's it's something else go watch uh but he's he's a he's an intense fella um it's a little bit like the sean miller he touched the ball thing Uh, isn't that duke too isn't Duke? Yeah, he's yeah. another Duke. Yeah, Duke. We, uh, got a, we got a Duke theme going on. Yeah, here. we've got a Duke theme. Dukey. Um, so, yeah. So, UCLA won both of those games. The ASU game, they had to kind of mount successive comebacks, and it was aided by the technicals, but they showed a lot of mental toughness to kind of keep going. Um, Sebastian Mack, you wrote a great thing about Mack and, um, you know, his potential progression um, and what he provides for this team right now. Um, but I mean, the main takeaway is that was still a, a, a hard game to win, even with the technicals and they were able to win it, uh, despite very raucous crowd, hostile road environment. That's the kind of game that I've seen UCLA teams lose, even when they are getting advantages. Um, and to do that, I think took some growth from this team from where it was a month ago for sure. And even where it was at the beginning of the season, because they lost a lot of games where they had second half leads in November, as we saw. Yeah. You know, I might be a little bit of a, uh, a damper here. They are playing better, but those two games could have gone really could have gone either way. I mean, especially the SU game. They they were losing the almost the entire game. Um, we all feel better because they got to win. But I'm I'm not prepared to say they're playing a lot better. Um, uh, the one thing they uh, there are a few elements w- w- that they are doing better. Uh, we were on you know the soapbox for the first. 10 games that you just can't get a Dembona to catch the ball 15 feet from the basket. He, and, and look to score. (laughs) I mean, he can catch it and hand it off and set a screen, but he can't, he can't go from the elbow to the basket. That's problematic. 
He's not doing that anymore. So he is setting up on the block. They're, so that's one. Two, they're feeding him the ball, which you know they didn't before because a lot of times he wasn't on the block. But he is now. Um, and uh, um, Darren Savino is the, is the post coach. And you can say, well, he didn't have a Dem prepared to start the season, even though he was kind of used as a face-up four. Um, but now what he's done with him that he slowed him down, catches the ball. And let's just say a Dem Bona does not have great hands. Ooh. Catches the ball, generally has, hold, holds on to it, takes his time, uh, is looking for the double team, and his timing his passes out of the double team so much better, um, recognizing when he does have space to try to score so much better. That's been, I think that's the number one development. And I think that has settled down this team offensively um and it got it needed it needed something <laughs> offensively and i think now mick cronin i know you don't agree with this but mick cronin said you need some you need the offense to go through someone um and that's how this offense is designed and now it's doing that so that's the biggest development i don't necessarily you know, I'm not thinking this is a big turnaround. They're miraculously going to play Arizona competitively, but that's a big development right there. That they are how they're using Bona offensively and how he's developed in how many games are we in? Eighteen. Um, Eighteen. So uh, that's my biggest takeaway to what I've seen in the last two games. Inadvertently, uh, like I wrote in the Sebastian Mack piece. When he and Lazar Stefanovic are rested, they play much better. I, I, I don't think uh, Mick Cronin said he sat him. He didn't start Mac in the second half because he just needed him to calm down, which really helped him. And he had a great half, just a spectacular half. Um, and like in that story, if you put together his two second halves of the last two games, that is a phenomenal player right there. Um, complete with heads up assists where he's driving and feeding people. And I still believe even in two years when Sebastian Mack is probably shooting threes at a 38% clip and he's actually uh, uh, jump stopping. And he's 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 driving the basket under control with intention. I'm still going to say I bet his best aspect of his game is going to be passing. He has shown he can really pass. And I just would like him to do it more. And in the second halves of the last two games, he has he's had he has like five assists in those in those two halves. So, that's my second biggest I'd really like to see him him pass the ball more, but the overarching one is those guys play better when they're well when they're well rested. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the main takeaway from the first game against Washington, uh, my takeaway at any rate, was that the first half was probably the best half of basketball UCLA's played this year. 
um, and it came with Sebastian Mack playing two minutes. I st- I think he saved them at the end of the ASU game, um, but I think that's still playing with fire in a lot of ways um, because it's just does the ball go in or not. Um, he had two assists in against ASU, and you know one of them was that nice one to Buyutunjil uh, for the uh, layup in the midst of that comeback. But I mean, for the most part, what he was doing was driving the lane and taking a tough shot and trying to get fouled, which is a lot of what we saw in November with Mac. Um, and he made them in this one, but they were tough shots. Um, so I think he can grow into a player, but I think this is, if I had a concern coming out of this, cause I do think UCLA is playing better and I do think the ball movement is generally better, but I think that's largely from, uh, a Dembona first not being uh, against ASU. And this was so funny because Mick clearly had this game planned from like watching film because he knew that ASU likes to double down from the wing instead of doubling from behind, which the double, if you've been watching all year, the double from behind is what Bona's struggled with. You know, when he pivots into a guy immediately and gets stripped, uh, ASU apparently doesn't game plan and they just do what they do. So they double from the wing and that leaves an open shooter. But in this game, um, Bona was actually, you know, he's showing some vision in a way that he hasn't. Um, and he was coached. Yeah, clearly They're, they're going to come at you from the wing. Just kick it back out to the guy who's right. set up. And so that led to, I think, two open threes and then one that uh, Stefanovic absolutely should have pulled the trigger on that he dribbled into the key for a turnover. Um, but I think the improved passing um, is largely from, and I mean, this is, uh, and this is like where you, I, I really don't envy Mick Cronin, the, the task he has in front of him. It's a better passing team when Max off the floor because he doesn't generally look to pass. I agree with you that he has passing ability, but he when he do looks it. to pass, he's one of the best passers on the team. But you're right; they pass better because most of the time he's not looking to pass well, because they're moving the ball. You know, they're yeah. they're I, there's there's something to be said. Like David Singleton drew a lot of uh, consternation before his like very good I don't know final year and a half two years. Because he didn't make, like, incisive passes, and he wasn't, like, doing anything that hard, and people would, like, denigrate his turnover rate for that. But there's something to be said for just reliably moving the ball and not letting it stick in your hands. Um, Will McClendon is one of those. He moves the ball around. It's not, you know, he's not always, like, making a beautiful pass for a bounce pass for a layup or whatever, but he's moving the ball around and keeping guys involved so they're not just standing around. Uh, drawing no attention from the defense. Um, if you move the ball around against the college defense long enough, uh, especially one that's as poorly coached as Washington or ASU, uh, you're going to find some openings. Like, you will, eventually, because the guys get lazy or inattentive. Um, and so if you're Sebastian Mack, a lot of times what you're looking for is an opening to drive, but if you don't pass the ball, there's rarely an opening to drive, yada, yada, yada. So I guess my larger point is, They've been moving the ball a lot better at different times, and I think it's, to your point, part of it is Sebastian Mack being well-rested in the second half, so he's playing better, but also it, he's not playing as many minutes, so there's more minutes for good ball movement. All of that, yes. It, if there's one other thing that's frustrating me watching, well, there's a lot of things frustrating me when I watch them on the offensive side of the court. I mean, they can't shoot. They're... They're not a good shooting team. But, but suddenly you know, they're shooting better because they're moving the ball better. And they're getting better looks. But tell me, uh, on the simple ball screen, the simple pick and roll, mm-hmm. um, so the screener sets the screen, and he he just rolls to the basket. 
There are so many times where that screener is open. Yep. And it, watch, watch the guard. He doesn't even look. They don't look. Wow, they don't look. Tiger Camp, I, I mean, how many alley-oops? How, well, just first off, how many times this season has the screener caught the ball off a pick and roll? You could probably count it on two hands. Um, Maybe one hand. Uh, how many alley-oops off that? I think one? Yeah. Uh, it's phenomenal. Tiger Campbell knew how to do that. That was like one of the, you know, college basketball, so much of the offense is, is just a pick-and-roll offense. And he knew how to he knew how to do that. That's the first thing, I mean, in, in my universe, pick-and-roll you're not doing it to free just to free yourself. The first thing is to get that guy rolling close to the basket where he can catch it and get a high percentage shot. They're not even looking for it. That's the most frustrating thing for me now. And if you didn't notice it, now you're going to watch a game and you're going to notice and you're going to hate me because I just pointed that out if you hadn't noticed it. If you have noticed it, you're already pulling your hair out. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think it goes back to the main issue that we've had. Um, like, if you're, like, there's lots of, like, underlying things. Like, the two-post system is gone. We obviously had a problem with that. Um, and, or the two-center system, I should say. They're still kind of doing some two-post stuff with uh, Burke. But um, point guard play has not been a strength. Um, I, I don't think we're, we're breaking any new ground there. Um, Dylan Andrews, even against ASU, clear clear and significant confidence issues um and even you can even see it when he's initiating the offense like just a lack of decisiveness a lack of you know i'm just going to do the thing that needs to be done here and even he's got a great first step he can dribble the ball but he's not beating guys off the dribble and that's just confidence indecision yada 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 all of it it's infected his shooting thankfully it hasn't infected his defense but it's still an issue and i think the Again, if you're looking for encouraging things, the past two games didn't really come with improved play from the point guard position. And to be able to do that against these two teams, to be able to come back against the team when your point guard really isn't playing that well, I mean, it speaks to a lot of, I mean, first, again, a lot of stupidity of ASU, but they were making the comeback even before that. Um, and I think it was it was interesting that, I, what was it, the last 10 minutes or so that Sebastian Mack was on the ball, basically the entire back half of the of the second half against ASU? Yeah, like that that last 10 minutes. Yeah, um, because even with Mack's – and you, Mick isn't blind. He sees like, okay, Mack is he's, – he's just going to dribble into the teeth of the defense and hope to make something happen. But that's still – given what Andrews was giving them, that's still probably a superior bet in – those crunch time moments, especially if, to your point, you've got a well-rested Mac. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Yeah, um, I think your point a bit is at least also saying there's so much room for improvement. They actually won these two games without great uh, point yeah, guard play. Yeah, if Dylan Andrews gets 
gets it together, this team can make some real improvement. I don't yeah. look, get it out of your heads that they're going to even have a chance against Arizona tomorrow. Cause that one could be an ugly blowout. Um, maybe it won't be, but it could be. So just keep that in mind. Um, I actually thought though, let's, let's, uh, I actually thought Dylan Andrews played one of his better games, if not maybe his best overall against Washington. He had eight assists. He actually passed the ball. Well, he shot it for crap, but I, I, I don't care. They had, what that was the game where they had uh, twenty assists on twenty five made baskets. And yeah, 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 so against Washington, if he's he passing the ball, yeah, he played a lot better. So you know, as we know, improvement is not a straight line. So in the last two games, he has played a little. He has played better in the Washington game. Yeah, so ASU was not good. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So the situation right now is they've. Um, I won't say they've righted the ship. They're all up, all all you know, glad tidings from here. Uh, they still did lose by forty six a week ago, um, but this is certainly not a result that people were expecting. I think people were expecting them to lose both of these past two games. They didn't. Um, it looks like they're going to avoid um, the true abject disaster season because there are still. You know, there's still games on this schedule where even if they play more or less like they did in December that are probable wins, like uh, Oregon State at home in a couple of weeks, uh, perhaps, you know, USC at home, you know, ASU at home at the end of the year. So it's not going to be the, like, absolute nightmare, you know, they finish 8-23 and 23 and we're all, you know, um, you know, devastated. Uh, it'll be better than that. Yeah, well, let's talk after... Tomorrow after Arizona is going to be bad. Everyone gird your loins. It's not going to be fun. Not going to be pleasant. I want to look. What is girding loins? I don't know. Probably. What sta- is that process? Probably like put some stabilization down there. I'm looking. What do we think right now? Gird your loins. Know. Gird loins. What does it mean to gird up my loins? Uh, There's diagrams. Okay. It, it originally alluded to tucking up the traditional long robe into a girdle, so it will not hamper physical Got activity. It. Yeah. I got a little guy like in a toga who's yeah. kind of yeah. Okay, so you got to gird your loins. You got to take your 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 trailing robe and uh, tuck it around your waist. Got it. I wow, learn something new today, Dave. D- and you use that term and you didn't even know what it meant, right? Who knows? Yeah, no one knows. Gird your loins. Um, <laughs> it sounds nasty. It does. Okay, that's basketball. Football. Yes. Shall we turn our attention? Yeah, yeah. Uh, football um, has picked up. Um, so here's so here's where I want to start. Um, UCLA has addressed its positional needs in the transfer portal. They have they have attacked two positions that I think we both identified as major issues, and they have gotten bodies to fill those roles. They have wait, what what two positions? Safety and edge rush. They have gotten mm. bodies to fill those roles. Okay, okay. So, got it. However, uh, mm. the whether this... So, first, I think everyone needs to, like, understand. So, Ramon Henderson, um, that's a one-year guy who was a four-star cornerback out of high school. Um, didn't end up starting at Notre Dame. Probably going to be... I would guess he probably ends up starting at UCLA just because of lack of bodies. I think. Brian Addison... Uh, we're hearing it's they're optimistic that he'll be eligible for this year. 
It's not a done deal yet, but optimistic. I, from what I hear, he got there were a couple of different things he had to get past. One was more difficult. One was a little bit easier. He's gotten he's gotten past the more difficult one. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see where that ends up, but looking good right now. Uh, he would probably be the starter at the other safety spot. Um, he, if you go look at his Oregon history, he really didn't spend a whole lot of time on defense. It's really just been, I think, the last year and change. Uh, he was a receiver before that. But, again, probably think he starts at safety. And then K.J. Wallace, the Georgia Tech transfer, um, played a lot of nickel for Georgia Tech. And there are your starting that's Bruins your starting, in the secondary. That's your starting uh, safety secondary, with including the nickel. So be very interesting. You know, when you have a transfer or a new player and you have, you know, uh, like the safeties are three and you throw in the corner, so that's a five-man unit that you have as a secondary. You add one or two new guys as starters or guys who play the majority of the minutes. When you add three guys at safety – yeah. And even if they're fairly talented, there's, you know, you, you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. So there's going to be a big, you, you got to just consider there's, there's a learning curve yeah. with, with these guys. Um, you know, it's funny too. I, I just want to say about Brian Addison when he was in high school, I think I was like 25 years old uh, because it was a long time ago. Yeah. And I saw him at various camps. He was one of the most dominant wide receivers did you did you write about that on a typewriter typewriter? Yeah. Yeah, and I you know the ribbon kept coming off. Yeah. Yeah. Um he was Did you call, did you dumb. call it in to a stenographer? Did you did you uh <laughs> I got the little I got the little press little thing in my hat. <laughs> yeah. The little press, yeah. Um when so, you interviewed him afterwards, did you actually use a physical tape recorder that had to be like changed like the tapes? No, I just wrote I just wrote my hand notes. Oh, right, 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 right. We, we didn't have tape recorders, Dave. Correct. Um, do you remember watching him as the defensive back at Oregon? And is there any recollection of him playing? Uh, I, I watched him a little bit last year, but that uh, it, nothing stood out. I'm really curious to see him because I don't remember watching him play he's, ever he, at Oregon he's, as, a, as a defensive back. He never struck me as the right size, but fine. Like he's like six five, he's, he is a legit six five. He's tall. That's that's he's tall, tall to play DB. Yeah, any DB so, position. Yeah, uh, he's a big question mark to me. But um, I think I mean given, given, Ramon Henderson and KJ Wallace. KJ Wallace was the starting nickel at Georgia Tech. Uh, Ramon Henderson, um, first guy off the bench, played a good number of snaps over the course of you know a few years, and from what I've heard, talked to some people in Notre Dame. They considered him a talented and very athletic guy. He just, he need, they just said he was really raw and he just needed more time and he got passed over. Yeah. So, I, I mean, those two guys, though, have experience, have played. I'm really curious to see a 6'5 safety. Yeah. That, that doesn't, maybe doesn't kind of fit. But, I mean, if he's good, it's kind of fun to think about a 6'5 safety. Yeah, it is fun to think about. Um, I, I, my main takeaway is that I think none of those three guys are going to, I don't think any of them are going to be that. I, I don't think they're going to be bad. I don't think they're going to make you forget Kamari Ramsey, Kenny Churchwell and Alex Johnson, uh, from that, this past that year. was seriously the, one of the best safety groups in a long time. Yeah, it was, it was pretty darn good. Um, so I think it'll be a step back, but I think Alex Johnson was really good. Right. 
But I think the thought that it was going to be a disaster, I think you can probably put that out of mind as far as the safety position because they now have, and this is, again, assuming Addison gets eligible. They have three guys who've played a decent amount of college football and, you know, at the FBS level. So there's that. Then at edge rush, you have uh, Collins Achiampong. Going with that? Sure. Sure. Uh, and Jacob Busich, the uh, the Navy defensive end. Um, now, these are, again, two bodies to replace, uh, well, a lot more than two, but to replace, ostensibly, Leatu Latu and Gabriel Murphy or Grayson Murphy or Carl Jones or whatever. Um, they need more. They need more bodies. But two is, you know, kind of the bare minimum that we were looking at coming out of uh, the season. The the problem is neither of those guys, like they're both, I mean, Collins has a lot of upside, but they're both from a production level, like what you would expect like Jake Heimlicker to be. Um, And this is the part where I think uh, expectations for the defense are, are really difficult to hammer out because their their pass rush is not going to be anywhere close to what it was. Busich is Heimlicker. Right. Let's just say that. And Collins is some guy who didn't exist, but a high upside player. Yes. You know, there's also Joseph Vaughn, the... Um, yeah, who could play edge rush too, right. Who might, actually, yeah. That might be where he needs to plug in. Yeah, and that replaces, let's say, Carl Jones? I don't know. Hmm... Anybody? Yeah. It doesn't really replace anybody they had. What we're saying is they they got some bodies, yes. So they'll be able to put some guys on the field, and they're they're they might you know they might be solid. They're not going to be tripping on their shoelaces. Yes. Um. Yeah, I was thinking. Remember, we used to say, "Yeah, that Ryan about Walcott." Ryan Walcott. Yeah. Um, and like, where is Ryan Walcott? Okay, you talk. I'm gonna. I'm searching Ryan Walcott. No, but that was the main thing I was thinking of when I was talking about these guys. It's like the Ryan Walcott situation where it's like, look, if you're expecting when these guys are out there that they're gonna like trip over their own shoelaces and it's gonna be a circus of disaster. No, that's not what it's gonna be. But you're not gonna get the high upside plays. You're not gonna get the high end plays that you got from Gabriel Murphy, Leatu Latu, Grayson Murphy, Carl Jones, yada yada yada, and on and on and on. Um, it's a, they will have bodies to fill the positions. Um, and look, I think that was what UCLA was capable of doing this cycle. Um, there's obviously a lot of NIL issues for UCLA football. Um, and more and more, it seems like the recruiting game is becoming largely about NIL. Um, and so what they ended up with in large part is guys who have a prior existing relationship with the staff or they are California bounce backs or both. Um, and, you know, some of these guys have some real ability. You know, getting Rico Flores at wide receiver, he's got some real talent. Uh, I think Ramon Henderson, like you were saying, he's got upside. It's just one year that they get of him, but he's got some upside. Um, but, and Collins, obviously, he's another bounce back who uh, has tremendous amount of upside. But you're not getting... There's no Zach Charbonnet. There's no Leatu Latu. There's no Gabriel or Grayson Murphy in this crew. And until UCLA gets its NIL figured out, which will probably be under a new regime in the future, uh, it's probably the way it's going to be. Yes. 
So um, not to be like two hundred. Um, Ryan Walcott recently was an assistant coach for the Yavapai College women's basketball team. Heck yeah, Ryan. Twenty twenty two, but he's not on the staff right now. So I don't know what happened to him. If anyone knows where Ryan Walcott is, I we want to know. Yeah, yeah I mean that. You know, Ryan Walcott came to UCLA. He's a Bruin. He tried his hardest, did his best. So, yeah, I feel a little bad we used his name like that. But, um, yeah, so it's been – I didn't listen too much to what you just said because I was doing a deep dive on Ryan Walcott. But um, what they have done in the transfer portal, I mean, like you said, they went out and – covered some some needs when you say needs though that kind of means that they're replacing yeah they, production they've covered roster not. spots they covered roster spots yeah um there there's a lot to this roster that is yet to be completed uh we still have um a transfer portal window that will open at the end of april um that's made for players who, uh, I mean, the intention is that they go to their spring practice and then it gives them the option to transfer after their spring practice. UCLA commonly uh, isn't done with their spring practice by the time that portal opens. Uh, they have at least another, uh, let's see, it usually it's ends usually about the 25th. Weeks after. Yeah. And then it, and the portal goes the 15th to the 30th. Yep. So that'll be <laughs> that'll be interesting. Like I said in the forum, there were some guys that we were hearing were either going to uh, put their names in the NFL draft or were thinking of transferring, and many did not. We have identified a few of them: uh, J. Michael Sturdivant, uh, Kane Madrano, uh, J. Toia. But in this, uh, so everyone feels good that hey they didn't they didn't go in the NFL draft they didn't transfer and that is a good first step it is and i'm not i'm just saying it's not over i'm not saying that all three of those guys will transfer um i think there's a good likelihood they stay at UCLA but in this environment when you would think Toia would be worth a good amount of NIL money yeah um I, Kane Madrano probably could get a little bit of NIL money. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. J. Michael Sturdivant, you know, maybe he double dips. He He's an interesting situation. I mean, he's already getting a good amount at UCLA. Uh, he could easily go shop himself to see if he can get more. Um, but then there's the element, since he's already transferred, uh, first, is he a graduate, which I don't think he is. And then secondly, we still haven't gotten a, a pure definition on that rule where you can transfer if you're an undergrad as for a second time. Yeah. So I would think, well, I know there's just still a lot to work out. With and that's just those guys. There could be other guys who decide to also transfer from this roster and then UCLA will be going into the transfer portal. Yes. Now, we have seen the level of guys they're getting. Uh, and we're not disparaging, but none of these transfers cost NIL money. 
I mean, if they if they are getting some NIL, they're getting a like a real base amount and maybe enough for their parents to fly out and see them play. Um, that's that's about it. You can probably expect the same level of qual of level of player for UCLA to be able to get in spring. In other words, I don't see UCLA suddenly coming to the table with a lot of NIL money for the spring transfer portal when it opens up. Um, so that brings us around full circle to, how did you say uh, they're, they're not meeting their needs, but they are filling roster spots. Yeah, they're, they're filling their roster spots. Now they randomly might, UCLA has a, you know, it is a, it is a transfer destination. There can be guys who want to bounce back. Maybe they get, uh, you know, uh, a well sought after transfer who just wants to come home. But in spring practice, most of the time, the guys who transfer, as we all know, are the guys who came away from spring practice and said, wow, I'm not getting playing time. Yeah. Those aren't the guys who usually are going to be big impact players. No. So all in all, there's a lot to happen. UCLA could lose some guys, and then the quality of guys they could get in spring, I'm not predicting everyone – you know, there could be a randomly very talented player who could come in and be an instant starter, but you, it's just logical sense to come to the conclusion that there might not be a lot of talent available in the spring transfer portal for UCLA. The other element are these programs that have lost their coaches. Yeah. So Alabama, how many guys are transferring out of that? Oh, it's like 30, I think, already. So that, that's where you think there might be some talent for UCLA to go get. Have we heard of UCLA involved with any Alabama guy in the transfer portal? Not that I'm aware of. Not that we're aware of. If it's out there, we haven't, we haven't heard it. Mostly because those guys were all four or five-star guys and they want some NIL money. Yep. Um, there's Washington and Arizona. Yeah, and Keanu Wilhite, who got out of his, uh, or his, yeah. yeah, but he's he's not a transfer. We'll talk. I'm, I just want to say, like, uh, um, what's his name? He's oh, uh, he's got the best name, Ephesians Prysock. Yeah, the the Arizona quarterback who made a big impact in Arizona's game with UCLA. <laughs> he was all over the field. He goes in the transfer portal and. I know we all, you know, I even, we all do it. Wow. I hope UCLA could get involved. Very, very little chance that guy's going to get some NIL money. Yep. Um, and UCLA can't compete. So between Washington and Arizona, there are some guys out there, but so far we haven't really heard that UCLA could be involved. And just to clarify, they're able to go in the transfer portal and transfer because there was a change at their head coaching Yep. Spot. So it just needed all of that explained and defined. I appreciate that about you. So what what do you think, Dave? What do I think about what? What do you think about the situation with UCLA's transfer portal situation? The situation with the situation? Um I think um well, I think UCLA is uh gonna have to do some uh well, I mean, I think they've already done it and they've come up that they don't have one, but doing some soul searching about what they want to do regarding their football program is probably the main thing because UCLA won't be competitive in the transfer portal market. 
um, the transfer portal market is becoming even more dominated by uh, NIL money than the high school market is now. The high school market's pretty dominated, but it's mostly at that top, top tier. Uh, the, the transfer market, it's if you're at all a quality transfer or you are a transfer at a position of need, you're getting some money. Um, and UCLA has to present other factors beyond that to even get guys' attention. Most of the time, it's geographical location. Um, so there's that. Uh, I think the obvious response to this is zigging again when people are zagging is to de-emphasize the transfer portal as part of your roster makeup, as we've been recommending from the beginning, and instead go back to high school recruiting, where you're probably going to be able to carve out a niche and get higher level of talent for less NIL money. Uh, and if you are running a good program, uh, as Chip Kelly was up until this past year, I mean, they really hadn't had a lot of transfers out. You probably won't have that many transfer outs if you recruit locally and uh, prioritize high school recruiting. Uh, because generally, the guys who leave the program are from where? Not here. Not here. So. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Most of it, but I, I, I think the whole situation is problematic. Uh, yeah, no, I, I advocate development. You you recruit high school players, you bring them in, you develop them. But damn, if they're good and you don't have the NIL money to keep them, they're going to leave in this environment. I, I, I mean, they're not going to just stick around because they like fat sales. They're going to leave. Well, you um, cannot be a farm system for your main rival. That's certainly an issue. Uh, certainly an issue that was eminently preventable if UCLA had decided to behave like a big boy and retain its defensive coordinator. Uh, but my contention would be local guys who pick UCLA, they have a barrier to going to another school that requires a lot of NIL money because they uh, have their family around. They have their family coming to games and all that kind of stuff. Like it is a soft factor, but it's one that needs to be acknowledged. Yes. If they end up, if you get a quarterback from local and he ends up being a Heisman contender, you're probably going to have to come up with some money to retain him. But guess what? If you have a local guy who's a Heisman contender, even at UCLA, you might be able to come up with the NIL money to, to retain him. Uh, this is the part where, like, you, you can't create something from nothing. And the, trying to do it with a bunch of one-year rentals in the transfer portal requires such a built-in apparatus that UCLA is not going to have. Um and this is all all I'm saying, again, is that they need to jettison the entire coaching staff and get a new coach in there. Because <laughs> the only way any of this happens is with any energy whatsoever. Because they need somebody with energy who's going to build up an initial base of funds, recruit locally, get some guys in there that have familial support and they want to be here and that whole thing, develop them, and your funds will start building because the guys are good and they're local. Um uh, there's just there's there's a lot of obvious things here that you, you you can't do it with a failed coach. The right time to fire a failed coach is always right now or yesterday, and they didn't do it. So what we're doing so, is an, yeah. we're, we're analyzing a, a a broken thing that's not going to be fixed. Uh, so let's just finish that off. Um, if we're thinking about we 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 said it would be unusual if they got a in spring a really high impact transfer. Um, I, given how this roster looks for, I'm talking now just next season. You were talking really big picture long-term. Um, the offense should probably be a little bit better mm. 
There are skill position guys that are coming returning. Uh, you would think uh, Ethan Garbers will be better. Uh, I, I would have to think uh, TJ Harden is going to be better. Uh, they've, if J. Michael Sturdivant and Kyle Ford, I, 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 they have a good receiver group. Let me, especially, uh, uh, well, but they will let, here's the thing. be better on offense. They definitely. will be better on offense, um, m- better marginally. Because it's still about the offensive line. Um, so just leave that, have a pin in that. And then defensive line, to me, they are not going to be as good because no matter what, you're not replacing that production at, at edge. But even to have a chance to be okay, to me, it's all about Jay Toia. If Jay Toia skips town, they are... They are hurting because now all the dominoes fall. You don't have anyone to anchor that inside without anchoring that inside. You now the real impact of not having a great pass rush. It just no matter who your linebackers are, they're on their heels. The secondary, you know, the quarterback's going to pick them apart. Uh, that that's key. They have a chance. Not to be as good as they were last year. They have a chance to just be in a decent defense, I think, and you can literally hang it on one guy, and that's Jay Tuia. Getting back to offense, and I'm gonna I'm gonna lower the bar. If they could just get a left tackle, somehow, some way, there's, you know, the. Uh, Jim Harbaugh leaves. There's a four-star Michigan left tackle who decides he wants to come back home. I, you know, whatever. If they could just get a left tackle, then that offense, I think, would really have a chance to, to be pretty good. And then you've got to put all that up against what did 24-7 rate UCLA schedule, the fifth toughest in the country. Yep. So that's where that all stands. Uh, those are things... To, to watch, I I think it's it's definitely Jay Toia. If somehow they could pull out a tackle, I'd I'd give him a, I'd give him a decent chance to be pretty good against the fifth toughest schedule in the country. Yeah, I think the defense is going to be bad. I mean, I think it's going to be um, even with yeah, Jay Toia. Yeah, yeah, it's going to it's going to be bad. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Um, okay. uh, Darius Musa leaving, uh, Femi Oladejo taking over for him. I like Femi. Um, I think he's a bit part. I don't think he's a starter. Um, not at that position, at least. Uh, I think they're going to take a major step back in the secondary, and not having a base pass rush is going to kill them. Yeah. Just kill them. Um, right. And I, that's what I'm saying. But imagine with all of that if they lose Jay Tuia. Yeah, it'll be worse. Um, but it's going to be bad anyway. Um, okay. So, yeah. Uh, whatever. It's it's. I mean, it's the situation. Everyone knows it is. Um but with all the transfers, I thought we just had to go through it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Okay. We got to okay, do it. Good. We got to do I'm it. I'm glad you're happy. Yeah, I love talking about UCLA football. Yeah, me it too. It makes me. Let's keep going. Fills me with joy. At oh, all wait. Times. You've got something to do. Okay. We both have something to do, <laughs> uh, which is finish this podcast. All yeah. right. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, I'm David Woods. He's Tracy Pearson. And we'll talk to you again next time. See you all.